because it's called a cold open. So that's how you do it. Yeah. Um, so Al, what were you posting on the internet right before we started er, recording? So someone just posted. Uh, so everyone's posting that thing. Not everyone. There are a lot of I libs out be there. Any more obviously smoking weed? <laughs> you didn't have to say it. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the posting the a vote for Trump is a vote for racism, and someone posted something that was like, "How can y'all be saying that when like?" him literally being in office shows that, like, nothing about this quote-unquote democratic process or whatever is about stopping white supremacy or stopping racism. Like, if the referendum was, like, we're gonna have a vote, and if you vote for Trump, you're voting for racism. If that was the referendum, it happened in 2016. Yeah. So, right. What is the purpose? What is the purpose? It's such a weird... Yeah. And I responded to it, and I was just saying, right, and also, I'm not seeing any... A vote for Biden is a vote for sexism. A vote for Biden is a vote for misogynoir. A vote for Biden is a vote for racism because it is. And and in a way where it's like liberals who, like liberals know that. Like liberals who are posting the a vote for Trump is a vote for racism also know. They've read the headlines. They're plugged in enough to know. And they keep saying like, oh my God, you know, um, I mean, I can say her name because she's an influencer and that's what happens. Um, Summer Breeze. Oh, yes. She was posting or... uh, she or they, I'm not sure, actually. But on their story of the debates, which a lot of people seem to be doing, um, and was talking about, like, I can't believe I have to vote for Biden, like, saying that line. And then said, like, kind of to be a joke or something, said, this fascist has my vote, as in about Biden. And this yeah. way, it's like, oh, my God. Here it is. It's, we've got a choice Here between. it is. Yeah. The liberal saying, I will vote for the fascist. Well, because because the ideology because of, the of no Trump is right. is somehow yes this idea that that somehow is worse than not worse than fascism but like that they're not this I don't know I couldn't believe well, it even as like a joke I understand the argument of they're not the same because I think I think this is something that whatever like you and I are obviously I don't want to say black pilled black pilled black pilled um, you and I are, are at a point of kind of. Accepting that the American mythology has not just died, but never lived. Like, that is, Mm -hmm. that's like a no good presidents. I already had my mourning process over Obama. Yeah. It's very (laughs) sad that he wasn't actually cool. Right. um, But that's because none of this is cool and it's all bullshit. Yeah. But I think for people who haven't had that awakening, Mm -hmm. it sounds stupid Mm -hmm. when people say, people like you and I are Mm -hmm. like, not what's the difference, but like what's the fucking difference? What like, is meaningfully the difference? What is meaningfully the, the difference? The function is the same because there is a difference, and I don't. I feel like we do. I'm saying sure. we as though I speak for some mm-hmm. contingent of people. Mm-hmm. I think that people in general mm-hmm. do a great disservice to the actual ideological point that they're reflecting when it gets flattened out that way. Because mm-hmm. I think again, even though even though it is true on this, like, deep values level, I get why that sounds like, whatever, purity testing to people who aren't, again, already, like, mm-hmm. woke, mm-hmm. who haven't awoken mm-hmm. there. You can't see this as the visual, me- or it's an audio medium, but I'm doing a little third eye. Awoken. Uh-huh. <laughs> awoken. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. We were talking about this, you and I, Al, earlier this week, but I saw a really interesting article right after Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing um, with... I should probably find the article and link it in the show notes, but it was with a 
um, abortion rights activist who had written multiple, like, over the course of the last several decades, uh, books, articles, whatever, about what do we do after Roe v. Wade gets turned over? Because this, right. is, this is the thing that we've been holding our breath for basically since the it ha- happened. decision happened. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, of the anecdotes that she told that really stood out to me and that I think applies a lot to this is that she talked about how um, one of the most disappointing things that's happened in her career was during the Obama administration when there was basically the most uh, political power that the Democratic Party could possibly have and the healthcare debates were happening, that abortion rights mm-hmm. and reproductive rights were the first, they were the negotiation chip, basically, um, to get healthcare passed. And so she made the point of like, we, if you are relying on elected officials to just do the right thing, to do right by us when it comes to reproductive rights, let go of that dream because that's never going to happen. It's always going to be the first thing on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. And that she pointed out that in uh, 2008, there had been this huge grassroot grass work. Grass roots. Thank you. Work. Yeah, yeah. that one. Uh-huh. There had been all this grassroots work to uh-huh. get this uh, network of activists and community members engaged in getting Obama elected and then uh-huh. all of these down ballot initiatives getting move forward and then as soon as the way she phrased it was like once everyone was seated everyone went home like yeah we won the election everyone goes home everyone unplugs from politics because the the problem is handled um and she was like and it fucking sucked like it had a measurable impact on the work that they were able to do yeah by contrast she told a story about um that's alabama right that tried to basically ban abortion completely and she, she mentioned that the sort of backlash from that and the attention that that got Mm-hmm. Um, the sh- their organization was able to raise like half a million dollars of of abortion money, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. Um, and that ironically that that legal decision had actually increased abortion access yeah. in Alabama uh-huh. because the result of it was essentially the entire country saying like, oh, you oh, can't no. do that. Right. Yeah, you can't mm-hmm. do that. That's like we're not going to let you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, like when I say that mm-hmm. I'm not deeply invested in the idea of voting for Biden, mm-hmm. it's not because I'm literally saying, I think that Biden and Trump are the exact same person, mm-hmm. and it would have the exact same impact on the world for either one of those people to be in office. Mm-hmm. What I mean is that I don't buy mm-hmm. that the net result of Biden being in office exactly would be a more just, exactly. equitable, uh, you know... Meaningfully different. Yeah, any of those things. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that. No. Because... I look around at so many of the people who are, like, frothing at the mouth yeah. of, like, vote or die, uh-huh. and I'm like, as soon as everyone gets seated, you're going to go home. Yeah. Just like you're saying, like, with Obama, like, if you're thinking in this logical conclusion where, like, when this liberal thing happens, then it means that things are better. It's like, look at this thing that happened that everyone thought was better, and look at what hap- what was the immediate consequence. That just shows you that the foundation we're living in, the ocean we're swimming in, is, you know, ultimately full of sharks. Like, you can't... Okay. Yeah. It's full of sharks. It's full of That's sharks. Re- I don't understand how sharks get such a bad rap. You know, they don't actually attack them. Uh, okay, but you know I'm speaking about I will about say goblin sharks, sharks are fucked up. So okay. we can, let's say goblin Fair. sharks. Okay. Yeah. Goblin? You know the sharks that have the sharks that have a jaw inside their mouth. Okay, so what are we talking about today? Well, you are the one who brought up sharks. <laughs> so this episode is about sharks. About welcome to Emotional Labor Shark Week. <laughs> Was there Shark Week this year? Did I miss Shark I Week? I don't think they do Shark Week anymore. What? 
They make what's happened to American manufacturing? <laughs> they don't make shark meat anymore. That is a disservice to Terry. Sh- I don't think they do. Yeah. I don't think they do shark meat anymore. That, well. Again, so what is this episode about? So this episode is about... And because they don't do Shark Week anymore, I think that we should all strike until they bring back what the people want. General strike. <laughs> so, and this episode is now coming after, as that kind of intro well, showed. Yeah, so rewinding a little bit. Yeah. The, this episode is coming out... RPG died. Yes. Pour one out. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't care. About. I mean, pour one out if you want to. I if guess. you want to, if you want I'm to. I'm not going to keep anybody from doing whatever they nope. want. What I will insist on you not doing is please do not lay on the ground in front of the Supreme Court, uh, gnashing your teeth. Don't do that. Yeah. You saw this picture? No, but I don't know if I want to. There's this. No. <laughs> there was this photo. Uh-huh. And it was like two, I guess, the, the way that the caption was presented was, was like two conservative ladies. With their hands on the Supreme Court, praying for what's her face, uh-huh. the new one. Oh, the n- oh. being like the blonde. We pray this blonde into this institution <laughs> by the power of her blonde light. Uh-huh. Let her be enshrined here, and then in front of, or behind them is this woman on the ground, like weep, weeping, 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 and it's like she's crying because of RBG. Weeping. And so it's like, oh, photo of our generation. And I was like, fuck, our generation is so fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> that is so stupid. All these people look crazy. Y'all look like cultists. What cultists, are you doing? Cultists. What are you doing? I will, anytime stuff like this happens, I always think about how people describe and talk about the DPRK as like this cultist place. And it's like, you have four presidents carved into a mountainside. <laughs> There are people like, huh? With notorious RBG tattoos on their literal bodies. Mm -hmm. Which I'm so sorry if somehow you are that person and you're listening to this podcast and your feelings are really hurt right now. I don't know how you found this podcast. Yeah. Welcome. Someone probably sent it to you. Maybe as a subtweet. Yeah. Yeah. Or a cry for, or like a come to Jesus. Yeah, a come to Jesus. Of like, you have an notorious RBG tattoo and we need to speak directly to you and tell you. Cover that shit up. Also, like, the notion of, like, Notorious RBG, like, where that comes about from, it. is so racist. It's so, like, bullshit. It's bullshit. It's so disturbing. I guarantee you that if you have a Notorious RBG anti-black. tattoo on your body, you don't have a single black friend. Yeah. I guarantee you. I 100% guarantee you. It's not possible. Uh, it's not possible. Uh, Maybe if you have a t-shirt or tote, you probably have one to five black friends that you met at your liberal arts college that you went to. Uh-huh, uh-huh, Possibly. Uh-huh. But if you have a tattoo on your body, there's no way. Not a chance. Mm. So what are we talking about today? So what are we... Well, I was trying to explain uh-huh. and then you interrupted me. So. ADHD, the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> Air Moon's the podcast. Air um, Moon's the podcast. So originally this was going to be... I think initially it was supposed to be about something completely unrelated. Yeah. You're going to be talking about cancel culture. We're going to talk we about cancel culture. We were going to talk about cancel culture. And then uh, you quit your job. Exactly. And we were going to talk about general strike. But a lot of people were, are seemingly quitting the, jobs, there transitioning. There was a wind in the air. There's the, a big furlough just happened this week. A lot of new furloughs happened. Disney's For, laying off a lot of people. Oh. Um just that next uh, wave of, The next wave. Yeah, layoffs and whatnot. And you're see, again, you're seeing it at the top top in big ways. Like, Disney. 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 Disney is furloughing people. If you are not afraid in the sense of, like, 
Dude, they're gonna cut, have to cut power to the frozen head. That's it's getting really dire it's over there. It's getting really dire. But truly, in a place where everything is measured by how well is capital doing, when a fucked up fascist fantasy world that creates the most propaganda or some of the most propaganda, they're furloughing people. They're cutting ties. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good. So we were gonna talk about a general strike and the collapse of mm-hmm. capitalism, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, we recorded an episode, and I fucked it up. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that. Well, I... (laughs) I have no shame. I own my mistakes. I'm a human being. I'm joking. I think that shame is what gives your mistakes power. Yeah. You know? I don't think that there's anything... I lose nothing by saying I fucked up the audio, right? I... (laughs) I'm not an expert. You just lost the audio. It ended, well, yeah. Well, well the we worst had the audio, happened. but it was very bad. It was <laughs> blessing in disguise. Yeah. So yeah. we had a whole episode that we recorded. And then and, a lot of content happened. And then a lot of content, which in this case, Al means life, happened. Uh-huh. And now we're going to bring that content, aka uh-huh. life, to you, yeah. um, to our listening audience. So that was probably like, what, a week ago? Sure. That that... A week and some change. A week and some change. Time. Um, so yeah, it's been sort of a, an unexpected and unplanned hiatus, mm-hmm. but the result of it is that I think coming back to it, I don't know, I feel like in some ways, I mean, people were very nice about the last episode and said that it wasn't super rambly and it was easy, easy enough to follow and I appreciate that. Yeah, thank I you. I feel like this one's going to be rambly. No. Only because it's, there's, you said no and you're nodding, so... <laughs> So to let the listeners know <laughs> the fucking mind games happening in this apartment right now. Um, okay, but uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I think it sounds like a conversation. Like if I'm reflecting back, the right conversation now. that we're having yeah. right now sounds like a conversation. Not now. rambly. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Anyways, as I was saying, if not rambly, at least more. We're talking about a lot more things because sure. we're not just talking about general strike. We opened mm-hmm. up this conversation talking about what the election and why because a big part of. Mm-hmm. General strike and being black pilled and yeah. the election, all these things go hand you have in to hand. S- you have to set the stage. Because this actually, historical context. Spoilers uh-huh. when we did the recording of our episode about general strike, we discovered as we were discussing it that really we weren't talking about a general strike. Right. We were talking about divesting from the concept of society. <laughs> general strike means from society. Everything. We have moved past the need for society. Yeah, socially speaking, I think that we don't speaking. need it anymore. We don't need it. That's our hot take for the episode. Uh-huh. We told you there'd be hot takes. That's it. <laughs> this one's spicy. This no one's more society. Spicy. No more society. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is kind of the conclusion we came to. I think the interesting thing that we're also talking about that we that we're experiencing this week is watching people struggle to like divest from the death spasms of democracy the death spasms of democracy it's so weird the rattle this mythology of so Uh like it's a vote for trump is a vote for racism do you remember learning about politics in like social studies in elementary school and what this concept of democracy is supposed to be i saw some video i think it might have even been um alexandria ocasio-cortez posted a video being like a vote for Biden doesn't mean you agree with Biden or something like that. Yeah. Where I was like, I couldn't even get, I had to stop the video right there. I was like, what mm-hmm. the fuck are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Because I was told that a vote was the sacred human right that, you know, it was so powerful and it was why we were different from the the commies and the, exactly. the bad guys is because we vote and every person has a voice. 
And yes, there have been times in America's history where that was not super 100% true, but we've fixed it and it's better now. And like, that's what democracy is, is that everyone, and that's first is of that all. that you just vote. It's not true. Uh-huh. And second of all, it's what are, what are you talking about? What in our American society is democratic, actually? The number of times that I've read some headline about like, 86% of Americans agree on this really pretty common sense thing that is not at all reflected in our legal or political mm-hmm. structures. Mm-hmm. Why? I thought we lived in a democracy. I thought that's what made the West so great. Right. I took uh, the equivalent of like 30 credits in college of fucking masterpieces of Western civilization because it was required, not Mm -hmm. because I chose to do this, just for the record. Um, Masterpieces of Western philosophy, masterpieces of Western art and literature and music and all of this shit. So much of which was predicated on this mythology of what... Democracy. Democracy. The democratic, rational... The rational Enlightened West. (laughs) The revolutionary West. (laughs) Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. And then to look at the way that people are talking about it now is like, I thought that voting was supposed to be something that you did with your chest, with your soul. Like with your right, and now you know it's this I mean? thing that it's like, no, you just do it, but it doesn't don't, mean anything. You vote. You don't vote because you think want it'll... this person to represent you politically, and you think that they will represent your interests well. You vote to protect the apocalypse. You stupid idiot. Yeah, like that is what. Like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And to say like a vote, a vote for Biden is a vote for democracy. That's not how democracy works. That's not how democracy works. Democracy would imply that if the people wanted something to happen, we could just, like, vote to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And even in this election that people are, again, losing their minds telling people to vote for, which is, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not a waste of your time to vote. I just think that Mm -hmm. you have to be clear-eyed about what exactly voting is in the grander, like, network of... Diversified tactics. Yeah, absolutely. for addressing the situation that we're in. Absolutely. This the idea that voting is the thing that will save us, or even the number one most important thing. Like the number of things I'm seeing where people are like, "If this makes you mad, you know what you should do: vote." Huh? No. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm just saying, There's what a, do you think that voting is? Sign a petition. Sign up. Like, let's do some other things first. Some other things that might have a bit more. Maybe of an do impact. literally anything other than signing a petition or yeah. voting, because what we the thing that we are dealing with is that the institutions that are responsible for seeing those things through mm-hmm. are have always been, but are now openly, nakedly corrupted. Nakedly. So what makes you think? Like, this is the equivalent of in the midst of everything happening in this current pol- political moment being like, if you see something bad happen, call the cops. Like, what? Why would, uh-huh. I, why would I go to this institution why? to fix the problem that this, this institution, institution has created yes. and perpetuated? It doesn't huh? make sense. That doesn't make sense at all. If Biden is the president, I think that might mean some bad things that happened, or that would happen if Trump were president, may not happen. Mm-hmm. And also, I think a lot of other things would happen and a lot of people would stop caring. Yeah. Yeah. Would just stop caring because there's a, a blue person in the White House. And that's... Exactly. Enough. That, that's sufficient. That's sufficient. And and that's the part that I wish I saw more of. People recognizing that that's not sufficient. But that's not what it sounds like. Well, I don't know. I mean, 2020 has been a great year for... Uh, true. Radicalizing. I, yeah, and I and I think what ultimately is going to happen is 
that it won't matter who clearly i mean clearly it's like we were saying uh, months ago we were talking about how there was not going to be a peaceful transition of power oh my god this has been my months ago i think since this summer at least yeah like what what makes you think that we're gonna have elections what makes you think they're gonna be fair what makes you think that the results of those elections will be honored and that there will be a peaceful transition. What makes you think that Biden would win? What makes even you if the votes think? were fair? Yeah. Like that's, what? That the thing is. When the electoral college? Why do you think that? And so for me, I do think the American political system will not. They would rather rig an election so that Trump wins than have people witness a not peaceful transition of power. Like, I don't think Biden has a standing chance. Oh, I like this conspiracy theory. This is galaxy brain. This is four-dimensional chess. Thank yeah. you. No, this but I see it. up if you wanted to know. Just letting everybody know I fucked up the joint. <laughs> There's no shame in admitting that I fucked up the joint. Well. I fucked up the joint. Can't roll, so there is kind of I can't roll. Shame, so. There's no shame. A little bit. I have some friends out there who can't roll, and this is a shout-out to you. You know who you are. Shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> um. So... General strike. Let's roll it back. We've given a historical context. Yeah. The historical context is that America's or, And the current... Con- yes. The historical current context. None of context. this exists anymore. Right. It's game over. That's the thesis for why you should quit. So stop going to your society. fucking job. Stop like, going to your fucking job. I, I mean, okay. So let's tell some... Let's let's, let's tell some um, testimonials. Okay. <laughs> should, we, should I go to the switchboard? Are we going to bring in some callers? No, our testimonials. Oh, okay. Of a strike, of quitting society, of quitting... Well, America. okay, let's be specific here. Because yeah. I, I I don't think you have either. Neither one, of us Neither one of us have participated in a strike before. Not in that way, no. We're talking about... No, not in that way, Al. Have you participated <laughs> in a strike or not? Um, no. Yes and... Yes, no. Quitting no. your job is not a strike. <laughs> no, I have not been a part of a strike. Okay. As in around my job. I've supported strikes. I've been, like, part of helping with a right, dip, right, right. But, but you haven't been, like, a striking worker. Yes. Yes. Um, I have not either, partially because I've only ever had union jobs for, like, mm-hmm. brief gasps of moments of mm-hmm. time. Um, and in most circumstances, I think one of the reasons why we are kind of conflating striking and quitting is because mm-hmm. in a lot of situations where I have quit jobs, yeah. the thing that I actually wanted to do was strike. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a, like, structural way to do that in the job. And so the only version of a strike that I could do was to just quit. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not to say that striking and quitting are tactics that are, like, even have a majority overlap in mm-hmm. how they function or what considerations go into them. Um, but I think, just practically speaking, especially looking at the year 2020, which is where we are yeah. still yeah. forever. Yeah. Um, to me, like the withholding of my labor from mm-hmm. a situation where I am feeling very acutely how my labor is being exploited. Yeah. Like if that could happen in a strike, I think there are a lot of jobs that I might have had a very different experience of. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a situation like the one we are in right now, or I think about March and April more specifically, when things were still really up in the air with coronavirus and things were changing every day and people had like no idea which way it was up and people were still having to go to work Mm -hmm. that it was like when you are in a push come to shove situation Mm -hmm. like that is when quitting and striking I think fall in the same Mm -hmm. sort of bucket of of tools where it's like 
if the choice is I come to my job and maybe die, yeah, or I don't go to my job anymore, and functionally could die, that's quitting, yeah, like, and, and I don't have income anymore, and right, can I, I don't pay my rent and then I die, like, mm-hmm. or I, whatever, can't pay for my medical bills and then I die. Um, that when you're shoved into that corner, I think is when the line between a general strike and everyone just stop doing your job, yeah, or like quit your job, uh, becomes a lot. It's a lot fuzzier of a line to to parse. Yes. Yeah. That being said, I love quitting jobs. Yes. It's been a joy for me. Right. We have we have not participated in strikes, but we have a series of quitting. Series of quitting jobs. Mm-hmm. And quitting jobs in terrible circumstances. Yeah. Like I have definitely, you know, over the course of my career, been in several situations where Mm-hmm. I made the dumb decision and quit a job without anything lined up after it because mm-hmm. I literally just could not tolerate anymore, mm-hmm. like, what I was experiencing in that job and how insane it, it felt to be there. I think there's this kind of... I think a big part of why people right now are running into, like, headfirst how much they hate their jobs in a way that it was not present for them, even though they're in the same job and mm-hmm. they hate the same amount... Is this feeling of like, oh wow, my my job interfe- my job interferes with my humanness, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. overwhelmingly, and I don't have the agency or the power in that structure to keep it from doing so. Yeah, like yeah. Ultimately, there have been a lot of reasons why I've quit jobs, and some of them have felt more legitimate than others. In retrospect, I regret none of them, but yeah, most of them came down to this same central idea, which, funnily enough, is something I say to my students all the time in class, where I'm like. You know, if you ever have a need that, a human need, I care about you as a human being and I care about you as a student. Yeah. So, like, that always comes first. Yeah. Um, which sounds obvious mm-hmm. until you think about the fact that there's almost no places in our, in our society uh-huh. that we've progressed past needing. Yeah. Uh, where people are encouraged to not only think that way, but also to be explicit about framing things that way. About being like, I care about you more... Frankly, the only times where I've heard that at jobs have been at nonprofit jobs, and I've heard it from management in a way that was very toxic and mm-hmm. very gaslighting. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I care about you as a person. Yeah. Except for family. in your performance review. Yes. Like, yeah, yes. we're a family. We're a family. We're not a family. We are, first of all. First of all, we are not a family. I'm not related to any of you. <laughs> no, I, I, I uh, worked. I'm rethinking. Using names. When you recorded last time, I was like, I'm going to name names. Yeah. I'm dropping names. I'm dropping names. But? But. <laughs> I used to work at a, a... At a place. At a place that everyone has probably been... Everyone where, objectively has. You've where been there. Where there is coffee. Um, and I used to work there for a long time. Long time. But, yeah, uh, when I first started working there, it was like being indoctrinated into a cult. Like yes. the way that they, they describe... You. Yeah. <laughs> what the relationship is. And I was young. I was like my first job job. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool in the sense that it's like, oh, people are just down and we're just doing this thing. And we're friends. And we're friends. Everybody's friends. No. It's, it's so interesting that I feel like the, the true crime flavor lately has mm-hmm. been really specifically true crime cults and scammers. Yes. And I don't think that's an accident. Mm-mm. Because when you look at all these cults and scammers, mm-hmm. it's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. It is all the same pattern over and over again. They mm-hmm. love bomb you. They break you. Mm-hmm. And they make you think everything is your fault. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it actually takes very little effort to police you. Mm-hmm. You police yourself. You police yourself. 
It plays on all of the, like, I have a hard time sometimes distinguishing between, I think we all do, like, what's familial trauma, what's mental illness, what's capitalism, what's racism, what's misogyny, like, what is, where's the, what's the mechanism by which I have learned to feel this way about myself? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's something that, again, people walk around with differing levels of awareness of. I think everyone is experiencing it in some form or fashion, in some area of life. Mm Mm-hmm. That, like, we learn from a really young age that we're supposed to... It's the marshmallow test. Uh-huh. We're supposed to deny ourselves pleasure... Yeah. So that we can be rewarded in heaven. Yes. Like, we're supposed to not have fun now. And then when we die... And then when we die, we have fun. Or even from a secular perspective, it's like, mm-hmm. you work really hard now so that you can play really hard later. Right. Like... You retire. You retire. I want to... And somehow you, know, you retire and you're able-bodied and you can travel. And, and then you have, have fun. Money and then you have and fun. And then you have fun. In your, when your body has been completely somatically divorced from the experience of pleasure uh-huh. for decades... Then, then you get to you have fun. Then you have fun. And that's why you get 50-year-olds committing suicide. Yes. Of like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. I am so divorced from what makes me happy that mm-hmm. I literally cannot imagine a world where I don't feel this way. Yes. Yeah. Almost lost that. Yeah. Audio. The computer just had to restart. A little the crash. crashed out of nowhere. The FBI agent was like, stop. Too hot. Too stop spicy. this right now. But we're back. So um, the point that we left off on was mm-hmm. about... After some technical S-wording. In your 50s. Yeah. Which I don't mean to be cavalier about this. No. It's a very serious thing. But it's like you said, you're so divorced from your pleasure, from your body, and... To realize that in depth, to have that existential experience is overwhelming. And not in a way that I have, like, empathy for, like, I don't know. Like you said, not to be cavalier, but, like, like, death of a salesman, right. Like, okay, and... I I, have a lot of empathy for death of a salesman, actually. I saw it on Broadway (sighs) with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Andrew Garfield, and I cried. So... (laughs) But if you're a callous bad person, that's fine. No, I have empathy for the existential death there. The 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 death of like that's be how deep that goes on so many levels. And and that happens to everybody on some level and it's like but and it's like kind of the idea of like you made it all the way to 50 until you really had to think about this and it was so overwhelming that you s-worded whereas like other people look at what you're experiencing every day. Well, yeah, I'm, yeah. And why you, yeah. like, why the demographic specifically is, like, cis white men? It's like, because what is promised you? Because you got you? sold, what, yeah. You were what sold a bill of goods. You I'd be pissed, too. You are a victim of a pyramid <laughs> scheme. Literally. Yes. The buck had to stop with somebody and it was you. <laughs> it was you. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad, huh? But also the things you did to get here, I'm kind of like, that's the part where I'm like, well, and uh, that's a really interesting part of it too. Is so I have mm-hmm. I have been part of this true crime flavor of the week. I have such a complicated yeah. relationship to true crime uh, as a genre. I feel like I, most of the I time, love true crime and I hate true. Crime. Most of the time, I feel like the same way I feel about zoos and aquariums. Yeah, I'm like, this is wrong. Like, mm-hmm. I shouldn't be allowed to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I shouldn't get. I shouldn't have this option to do this. It's yeah. just fucked up. But with cults and pyramid schemes, I'm like, no, this is actually really useful ethnographic information about, like, society and psychology. This really specific, like, 
what is it that allows these things that seem so nakedly obvious in hindsight and from the outside? What allow these things to perpetuate? Yes. And one of the most, I think, interesting and revealing things that comes up over and over again is that the longer you are in something, the feeling of being scammed mm -hmm. is so embarrassing uh -huh. that people would rather the ignore it. Dissonance, they will yeah. work so hard to ignore it because the feeling of, of recognizing... Mm -hmm. Not only I've been scammed, but I've been scammed to the tune of this amount of money. I've been uh -huh. scammed into ruining these relationships. Uh -huh. I've been scammed into doing these things that I didn't want to do. Or, in the case of capitalism, I've been scammed into giving up not a third of my life, uh -huh. half to two-thirds, I yeah. would say, is like a conservative estimate of how much mental, emotional, temporal space mm -hmm. a job takes up in mm. America in 2020. Yeah. Like working 50 to 60 hours a week, commuting, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. And then also just having to recover from the experience of exactly. having your job. Right. Even working, even working in some places like, or in some circumstances, five to 10 to 15 hours is like the recovery needed from that, from whatever the job is. Like you're saying, it's, your whole life. Well, and it's the reason why... Because it's so demoralizing to exist in that fucking structure oh, constantly. Yeah. And that's the... What, mm -hmm. Like, when I draw... Because when you're not working, tissue, it's like, what am I doing? Literally. Mm -hmm. And because... Because you can't actually compartmentalize in the mm -hmm. way that you would need to to keep that part of yourself whole and uh -huh. intact. Uh -huh. Like, there is a certain level of professional success... That I think requires in some, and not even professional success, financial security. Yeah. But in some ways requires, like, cutting off a part right. of yourself. Basic need security. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and even then, I'm thinking about, you know, jobs where I felt this way and been like, yeah, my basic needs weren't even met. Like, yeah. I was so underpaid that I was working that hard to not even have my needs met. Yes. Yeah. But anyways, this idea that, like, we're talking about jobs categorically and obviously there's lots of different kinds of jobs that people can have and a lot of different ways that some of these points might not be as universal as they feel in this conversation for example sure. because you and I share not very different job histories mm -hmm. but comparable enough right like yeah. you've both worked Emotional hourly labor. service jobs mm -hmm. right you've you've worked in mental health I've worked in yeah. education potato potato yeah um mm -hmm. but generally speaking like like we talked about last time Every job, having a job is emotional labor. Having a job requires a certain amount of control over your affect. And depending mm -hmm. on what kind of job you have and how aware you are of it, like mm -hmm. some of those, some of those things that you're required to do, in fact, a lot of times many of the things you're required to do are mm -hmm. so arbitrary. Yeah. Meaningless. Yeah. And exist only to reinforce the power structure of the institution. Yeah. That is why I compare them to cults. Yes. Because the way that it is ideologically structured... Yeah, like circular logic. It is, like... There's, like, some viral tweet that went around maybe, like, a month or two ago where, mm -hmm. like, people... It was, like, how everyone rediscovers capital, like, ten times a month. It yeah. It's, like, people rediscovering Foucault. It was, like, oh, like, uh -huh. schools are, like, prisons. Like, yeah. and, yeah. like, schools <laughs> exist to train... Everything is a prison. <laughs> we live in our own prisons. Um... <laughs> So this idea that, like, school, K-12 education uh -huh. exists the way that it does uh -huh. be because, or I should say it this way, K-12 education as it currently exists developed concurrently with the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. The idea of putting yes. children in groups, uh -huh. in a room, 
for eight hours a day. It was about capitalism. To get them, to make them ask yes. to go to the bathroom, to control their time, to have all of these arbitrary rules about that, to mm-hmm. give them a one hour break in the middle of the day. Yep. Like, it existed so that one, parents could work because their kids would have yes. somewhere to go. Yes. And two, so that kids would grow up and be good little workers. Literally, like, high school as a concept did not exist until post-World War II. Like, 1940s, it was like high school, the American teenager. And it was all about capital. Making like, little workers. How do you... Right. And the reason, because that little is... Little workers, little consumers. Little workers, well, you know, t- that age group drives consumers. Yes. They are the highest consumers. And it's like, this is a developmental period where all of these concepts are shaped. It's, it's like such incredible psychological really, propaganda manipulation. I think when people who are not in the field yeah. think about childhood development Mm -hmm. they get really stuck on like the first you know six to twelve years of life as like oh that's when you when everything gets set you know what i mean it's like oh Mm -hmm. your childhood is where everything comes from and Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff comes from childhood and also these more complex social behaviors these complex ideological principles these uh like somatic states that we get trained into a lot of that stuff happens in our teenage years because that is the period of time where developmentally the thing that's happening is we are learning those things we we're are learning, learning the higher order things. so we're learning yes. this is what i get socially rewarded for mm-hmm. this is what i get socially punished for yes. and so to have possibly the most like brutal context to develop in where it's like you are rewarded for self-denial. Yes. The more you can deny yourself, and I don't just mean denial like in the marshmallow experiment sense of like no, no. resist the urge, but I mean deny yourself, like lie to yourself about who you are yeah, and I'm, what the world I'm is. I'm thinking about like when I was in middle school, for example, the types of adults who inhabited those roles and what kind of messages I was receiving and thinking about like gender, how cruel some of the messaging is in middle school. Yes. Um, The punishment around it, how shame is integral to the experience. It exploits so much about that developmental psychology. Yes. 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 It's like, this is when you're so vulnerable and we're going to be the most careless with it. And it's so, and that's not even taking into account media Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. also the content of what you're being taught in high school, Mm -hmm. let alone the structure, yada, yada, yada. So Mm -hmm. that's a whole other episode in and of itself. But like you take all of that in totality Mm -hmm. and then you look at the contemporary American workforce. Yeah. And there's, first of all, right, how many teachers wow, if we hated their jobs. labor book club, I would love to read Bullshit Jobs because yeah. I've read excerpts from it on that have been posted mm-hmm. and just been so like, you know when you read something where you're like, I knew that, but I didn't know uh-huh. the words for it. And thank you so much for putting words to it and yeah. also doing the research, like getting the numbers. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's like a beautiful encapsulation of, I think, intuitively a big part of the driving reason why I've quit so many jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, and something that I've also talked to you about a lot before with mm-hmm. my, um, one of the many jobs I've had in my career was in editorial consulting. And that was by far one of the most radicalizing experiences I could possibly have because mm-hmm. I just, it was such a shock to realize, because that's really what we're talking about. It's yeah. not that participating in this mythology is intrinsically harmful. It's that you get to the point of S-wording when you yeah. realize that it isn't true. 
Yes. That you can do everything right mm-hmm. and lose. Yeah. And you can do everything wrong and win. Because it's actually, it doesn't work the way that you've it been told that it works. No. You don't actually, the marshmallow experiment <laughs> is bullshit. Like, in case you haven't uh-huh. heard this expose, no. delayed <laughs> gratification as a psychological concept, as a part of positive personality, is bullshit. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's not, a, you sh- there's no valor to being able to delay your gratification uh-huh. in that way. Uh-huh. But impulse control, one thing. But delayed gratification, as in mm. you'll get pie in the sky when you die, Right. it's a lie. <laughs> That's a lie. That's a lie. You know, it's funny when you said that, of, like, you could do everything right and not get it. The ga- Gambler's Fallacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the movie that came to mind. I hate to bring it up. I'm sorry, but Uncut Gems. I thought of it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but, truly, Gambler's like Fallacy. with a frat boy. No! Like, the, the Sopranos and fucking... <laughs> Uncut gems. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. She just wants to be a gangster, y'all. No! <laughs> <laughs> That's all she wants. <laughs> uh, okay, but, tell us more about how it's like Uncut Gems, Al. No, I just... Uh, that's for people who care to project and to think about. I don't need to go into it. I'm not trying to bring that Let's just throw that out there. I'm, Elaborate. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. no. Um, yeah. So, well, but, uh, right, to think about teachers, though. I'm thinking about that resentment as a teacher of hating your job, of not being or paid, even how I people take that out on children. I loved my well, job. Well, right. When mm-hmm. I, was a full, I was a full-time teacher for one year, and I love my job so much, and I love the kids I work with, and I love everything about it. Mm-hmm. And I hated my life right. so desperately when I had <laughs> that job. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. so deeply. In a Mm -hmm. way that absolutely affected my ability to do it. And that's what I told my boss when I quit. I was like... Yeah. I was like, blank. I'm so sorry. But, Mm -hmm. like, I just gotta be real. I resent this job. And if I I resent resent it, I'm not gonna do it well. And I care about this job too much. Like, I care about this work too much Mm -hmm. to come here and not do it well. So I think I should quit. Mm -hmm. Which is, I recognize, kind of a wild way to quit a job. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... But it's honest. No. And again, I have no regrets. Like... Because the other thing that I could have said in that situation is, you know, I'm pursuing other opportunities, blah, 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 blah. No. No, I wasn't. Which is just a a strange professional lie that is... This weird courtesy of, like, why do I owe that to you? Which ultimately protects the myth of the whole thing. It's so funny that you said that you brought up the word resentment because a little plug for Simply Therapy Newsletter, I'm writing about resentment for the first... Chapter one. Chapter one. Resentment. Because I think it comes up a lot for people, and thinking about what you're saying um, also reminds me of my recent quitting my job <clears throat> was I resent this. And the way that I quit, as a, I was an adjunct and I quit in the three weeks into the semester, but I was honest and I said, I can't do it. I can't. I'm, I'm woefully unprepared for how intense the... For teaching in these unprecedented times. For teaching in these times. And I, I, you know, and I accept, <clears throat> like, my, part of my problem, or how I contributed to it was, like, my inability to let go of the this institution, in that it looked like a safety net, and when I got the job, it's like, what about money? Because there is still really this thing of, like, what, how am I going to still exist in capitalism, right. even though this... Uh, even though the pandemic has changed the structure radically in a lot of ways, right. that part does still exist and how to... Well, and that was, I think, the... 
<laughs> like, that's the part of this conversation that I think is always going to be mm-hmm. unsatisfying on yeah. some level, because when I think about, like, why was I able to quit all the... Why have I been able to have a career path where I haven't been in a job that I feel like killed a part of me? Mm-hmm. Like, I've been able to quit when I start feeling that, that mm-hmm. thing happening. Mm-hmm. And it's a combination of factors. Mm-hmm. I think one was privilege, not in the sense of having a financial safety net, but mm-hmm. A, in the sense of having access to credit. I had mm-hmm. a really good credit score coming out of college because I my mom worked in a bank and I got that financial education early and like knew to what to do to have a good credit score. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. part of the ability to quit jobs was, okay, as long as I can find the cash for my rent, which is the one thing I can't pay on a credit card, like, yeah, and I'm, and since... I, like, never had to pay around on a credit card, but I could have if I needed to. You know what I mean? Like, at, at some point in that process. Mm-hmm. So that was always partially, like, a cushioning effect. And then, two, the privilege of living in a city like New York. Yeah. Because there was always a way to make money. Like, yes. Yes. Not necessarily a job, but there was always a way to make money. A way to make Somewhere, money. Somewhere, somehow, mm-hmm. some way. So mm-hmm. that also made it a lot easier to be like, well, I'm out of this situation. I'm going to jump out of this frying pan mm-hmm. into this fire. Thank you very much. Yeah. Like, and figure it out. Um... I'm trying to think of, uh, I'm, uh, okay, so, I'm thinking of every job I've ever had. Every job. Every job I've ever had, and I'm trying to tally how many that I full out just, like, ghosted quit, how many I two weeks and fulfilled the two weeks, how many I, like, two weeks and didn't fulfill the two weeks. I think the majority of my jobs, I have ghosted quit. Yeah. Um... I did two weeks. But these are like service jobs. No. No? Well, probably the most, let's see. Scandalous. Well, the one job I didn't two weeks, but I didn't totally ghost was my first, like my first job was a phone, a person at Elizabethtown College is where I went as an undergrad. And I was one of the people who called and to ask donors for money. Oh, yeah, terrible. To ask alumni. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. I was a freshman. Yeah, I didn't miserable. I didn't finish at Elizabethtown. I, I left. I didn't like it. But I didn't finish out my semester on that job. And, you know, you don't have a choice. You're just, like, assigned right. a stupid like student job. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I did call my boss, and I was just like, I can't do it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have the stamina for it. And I wasn't, like, very good at it. So yeah. he was disappointed and whatever. No mm-hmm. real... Because there were people who were good at it, which I was like, of how course. do you do that? Well, so that's the thing. Like, I... That's the other part of what I was going to say, is that part of the reason why I was able to quit all those jobs uh-huh. is privilege. But then also, uh-huh. part of the reason why I quit all those jobs is not a, I was able to, uh-huh. but a, I was not able to not. Yeah. Like, I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until mm-hmm. I was 26 years old mm-hmm. and had already gone through many, 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 many jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and shockingly, one of the flags for ADHD is not being able to hold down a job. Oh. And I think the, mm-hmm. like, the kind of boring answer for that mm-hmm. is that, you know, you have ADHD, so you fuck up and you can't keep a job. Yeah, you get fired. Right. For mistakes. Um, but I've never been fired. Mm-hmm. I've quit every job that I had, mm-hmm. and I've quit those jobs because... The way that I describe it is, like, part of the reason why I didn't realize I had ADHD until very late in life is because mm-hmm. I, I had a really misconstrued picture of what ADHD was. Mm-hmm. Um... The way that I always understood the thing that made me different from other people, and I actually mm-hmm. used to resent it a lot, and mm-hmm. be like, "I, what's wrong with me and my stupid self that I can't just do this thing that other people seem to be able to do? Mm-hmm. 
easily was like, I can't, I can't make myself do something that I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. not a matter of yep. willpower. It's not a matter of character. I mm-hmm. think that growing up in a context that taught me it was, both in terms of like growing up under capitalism, mm-hmm. going to school, mm-hmm. but also just the family life that I had and what the expectation was in my household. Mm-hmm. Constantly having that experience of like, I am doing my absolute best, and I'm being told that my absolute best is not just not enough, but, like, huh. irrelevant. Uh, like, yeah. because you can't do this thing, everything that you can do is irrelevant. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Exactly. I hit that rock bottom mm-hmm. really early. Like, yeah. I have been blackpilled for a while. Right, right. Of, like, oh, I, can't, I just can't do it that way. I knew by the time I was halfway through college, I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to have a regular job. Like, yeah. I don't think I can do that. Mm-hmm. Because my experience so far, even mm-hmm. just with internships, with, I ghosted an internship. Oh, shoot. I told them I had bronchitis. <gasps> Bye. Forever. I was like, I'm in the hospital. I have bronchitis. I can't come in. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Halen? Oh, well, dead. it wasn't a teaching job. <laughs> oh, okay, it was, okay. I would not do that to a teaching job. This mm-hmm. was a, it was a job that was, it was presented as a business development job. And in the interview oh, process, okay. I was like, I would love to do this because I have ideas, baby. But mm-hmm. I, the one thing that I can't do is data entry. I'll fucking lose it. Like, yeah. I, I cannot because I have undiagnosed ADHD. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was just like, I don't like it. So mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. And they were like, totally cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, duh. I, like, start working there. And, like, the guy who... The, like, 27-year-old history major with a startup fund from Daddy mm-hmm. who's running this company. Mm-hmm clearly wants to hear nothing that I have to say. Right. And I'm assigned to be doing data entry work. No. For the entire summer. And this was a summer where I, this was the summer that I was so broke that I had to walk to work every day and I ate a slice of dollar pizza in the morning for breakfast and oh. a slice of dollar pizza at the end of the day for dinner. Oh, no. and, and I was sleeping on my friend's couch in Midtown. Like that and I'm like sick. And going to it. my job to do data entry. I was like, bye, deuces. I'm no. out. Like I'm not doing this. No. I'm not doing this. No. For what? But this For is what? the thing is that I understand I understand the reasons why people do it. Yeah. And I've said this to you and to no. other people many yeah, times before true. that I'm glad that I didn't get diagnosed when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Because I think if I had had access to medication and if I had understood this is mm-hmm. a mental illness, I would have been I would have been incentivized enough to learn how to do that thing. Yeah. How to kill that part of myself. Absolutely. How to do stuff that I did not want to do and mm-hmm. feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, this is something that's been coming up so much with tarot clients and coaching clients, This and just friends. Like, mm-hmm. this prolonged period of chaos, mm-hmm. and I think realizing, like, oh, wow, you know, I've been doing everything right, and that actually doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Like, everything feels very fragile, mm-hmm. so what has this all been for? Like, I've been talking to people who, like me, have had random chances of fate allow them to be in situations where they actually have more freedom and flexibility than they have had in the past, mm-hmm. and they're having this experience of, like, like one of my coaching clients... Every time we talk, I feel like really what we're talking about is, like, not necessarily the content of what she's working on, Mm -hmm. but, like, how do we get you back to an experience of pleasure in your work? Because Mm -hmm. in one of our first sessions, she was like, I'm not really concerned about money right now. This doesn't have to pay my bills. Mm. And so if there's not that 
pressure hanging over it. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't have to be that, then it can just be what's easiest for you. What feels the nicest? Like, what would be the most fun to do? Mm -hmm. How do you best work? All of these questions that I think when people realize that they don't know how to answer them, Mm -hmm. it's very disorienting. Mm -hmm. To realize that you don't actually know who you are, what you like, what feels good for you, how you work best. Mm -hmm. Like what kinds of things you would like to do if you didn't feel like your survival depended on you doing stuff that you didn't like doing. And the funniest part was oh, at several times in the process, like, you know, talking about goals or structures or things in her workflow and having this realization of like, you're creating suffering for yourself in your work because you don't know how to feel productive if you aren't also suffering. Yes. If you're not suffering, you think you're not working hard enough. Yeah. And I'm like, I recognize that because that's was me for a very yes. long time. Yeah. Like if I'm not suffering, that must mean that I'm not doing enough I'm because that's what, cap- right. that's, that's what capitalism teaches you. Right. Is that, that your life happiness and security mm-hmm. and like financial well-being mm-hmm. and access to pleasure and leisure and all of these joyous things is directly predicated on how, how good work of a person you are. You are yeah. Which well, is how which hard is earned through these, this work ethic. And I know we all read about Protestant work ethic. and Well, I guess we all didn't, but no. many of us did. But, like, really think about that shit. And think about that shit in your life, even if you are not a Christian or someone who was raised in a Christian context. Because mm-hmm. if you exist in America, capitalism. if you exist under capitalism, yeah. you have that you in you in, in ways that you don't even realize. And it's just so... Because it fuels the idea that people who are rich earned it. And that's the only way that this many people would be so placated in the, if, if there that. was some there has to be some kind of scam that makes you think that you somehow have access to this if you work hard enough and pleasure and work are somehow directly correlated like you really made people believe that like that is how it happens. I mean I just think about like like I remember when I was my senior year in college uh-huh. I was dating someone who was a couple years older than me so he and his roommates were all like they had Mm-hmm. careers mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that I did not because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was in college. Yeah. So we would talk about stuff. And I remember once we were talking about, I was like, you know, my nightmare mm-hmm. would be, I'm like 26. I come to mm-hmm. and realize that like, I don't like anything about my life. About like I don't like anything life. about what I'm doing, which 26 at the time for me was like one day when I'm old, you mm-hmm. know, like one day when I'm a million years old, it would be sad if I realized I didn't like what I was doing. Yeah. Um, or not even I didn't like what I was doing, but that I had, I had, I was just like key off at work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like on standby at home, like I'm just not plugged in because I right. can't be because it's so miserable that the only way that I can get through it is if I am not plugged in to how it feels to be doing it. Exactly. Case in point. Um, and I remember him kind of, like, laughing at me in this, like, Mm. very, like, oh, you'll see someday. Like, that just is what it is to be an adult. Mm. And, like, his roommates all over, and, like, he worked in tech, he had a roommate working in politics, roommate working in finance, a roommate working, it was apparently, like, Mm. all the, they all had good jobs. Mm -hmm. They had a nice apartment. Yeah. It was right by the Redacted where he used to work. Oh. The nice one in Williamsburg. Yeah. So, they were, like, doing pretty well. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was just, like... I was like, I'm in a horror movie. This is horrifying. Y'all all agree with this? You think that's normal? You think that's normal? That's not normal. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to feel that way. You shouldn't need to do all these drugs on the weekend. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. no shit. Do drugs if you want to. But, like, you shouldn't need to do all these drugs on the weekend. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. What are you running from? 
Your life. Your life. Because your job is your life. It is. It is truly the assumption that 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 is fixed. Be, that that is a like you're saying. Not that like that it is quote unquote normal. That it is it is true of nature. Of like you can never change the fact of life that you have Look, to work. If you want to have death nice taxes, things in this world, you have to work hard for them. And working yeah. hard uh-huh. usually means doing things that you don't like. And that's just it's how it is. And it's if you don't it like is. it, it's because you're a softy little bitch and you can't hang. Right. And you're not meant for this world. Yeah. And you're a wuss. And you're a wuss. And that's why you're suffering. Is because you're a wuss. Pick yourself up from your bootstraps. Right. Yeah. Just ridiculous. And don't get me wrong. It's not that... I think for a long time I, I struggled with this idea of, like, oh, I am lazy. Like, I, the reason I can't do uh-huh. this is because I'm lazy. I'm a princess. I'm a brat. Like, uh-huh. I just don't... I can't deal with being a, a little bit uncomfortable, and that's why I will be in credit card debt till I die. Uh-huh. Um, when, again, the reality is, like... I mean, I couldn't have predicted that coronavirus would happen and completely change my financial reality no. in every possible dimension. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people for, for example, perfect example. The last job that I quit that was a stupid job for me to quit uh-huh. was the job that I quit in uh, January of this year. Yeah. And it was a job that paid, like, fairly well. Mm-hmm. But it was also a job that in between orientation day and my first day, I literally did not even make it to my first day of work at this job. Mm-hmm. Because the ableism that I experienced, literally, if yeah. I... I remember actually talking about it with somebody who was like, you should sue them. And I was like, that's stupid. Like, don't be fucking stupid. No. Like, mm-hmm. what time, What makes you think I have the time, effort, energy, yeah. money, money to do that? And for, to what end? Because the thing that I'm legally entitled to is the job. Yeah. And I don't want to work I for them. The so now what? I, let me get the compensation that I'm owed, I guess. Whatever. And get on. Whatever. Learn something new. Point. And, and also, it was just like, I don't know, whatever. I'm just to see the situation. But it, they were so ableist. And yeah. so it was so toxic already that I was like, I cannot imagine this would get any better. Like, yeah. It certainly won't get any, any better. Definitely will get worse. And second of all, that. I remember talking about it with my mentor and he was like just try going for your first day and like see how you feel and I think that's like the responsible thing to do right like the, sure. the grown up thing to do is just see how long you can you know you don't have a job right now so if you can stay as long as you can uh-huh. while you apply for stuff and get something else set up blah, blah, blah. Those are good and things. it sounds so funny to say now as we're talking about it but when I think about when it was happening I do remember us having saying the same thing yes like, yeah you should try it because, just like see if cause, because what's gonna happen Financially, yeah. like there are these really high stakes incentives. It's called life. It. Like it's yeah. called living and life and having to pay New York City rent. Like, yes. And I remember the night before I was supposed to go in, just being like, like I knew, mm-hmm. you know, probably f- four or five days before that that I was uh, there was no way. Right. Like I knew in my body and soul, that like there's no gonna work. There is no yeah. fucking way that I'm gonna be able to do this job uh-huh. because I already resent it. I haven't even stepped into that that building, and I resent it. Mm -hmm. And because of the way that my particular flavor of of brain damage is put together, I can't ignore that. Mm -hmm. I actually literally do not have the executive function to not think about how much I resent it and just, like, buckle down and get shit done anyways. Can't do it. Yeah. So with that in mind, like, Mm -hmm. the... Like, having conversations with people who I care about and trust and respect... Being like, this is you should probably do this, and being like, yeah, you're probably right. Uh-huh. And then at the very last minute, being like, okay, I'm gonna do the thing that I knew I was gonna do from the beginning, anyways, because uh-huh. I knew I knew I was gonna do it anyways. Because actually, it doesn't matter what the right or responsible or logical or whatever right. thing to right. do is in the situation. The fact of the matter is, if there's a hundred things on the pros list yeah. and the con is I don't wanna, 
uh-huh, I hate doing what I don't want to do. Then there you go. I'm yeah. not going to do it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean to say that in a way that is, like, nakedly petulant of, like... No. Never being uncomfortable. But I think it's actually... It's choosing the discomfort. It's, I remember... Yes. Having It's this, not like this is the first job in this kind of field you've ever had either. Well, no. You know what I mean? Like... But how, I mean, like, the... Like, I quit a job, a nonprofit job, another mm-hmm. job that was like, this is a great job. There's mm-hmm. room for advancement. Like, I should stay at this job. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything lined up after it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was getting ready to quit that job, I did a tarot reading about it. Mm-hmm. And the tarot reading was like, you can be broke or you can be miserable. Pick mm-hmm. one. And I picked broke. Yeah. Not always pick broke. Because mm-hmm. I can, when I've been hungry, I have friends who feed me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And like I was saying before, I had hella credit card debt mm-hmm. and suffered like I also suffered yeah but that suffering is so much more tolerable to me than the kind of suffering that I have experienced in jobs where I feel humiliated like mm-hmm. exploited and not just in the like Marxist sense but mm-hmm. truly in a spiritual way just being like y'all are taking something from me yeah and yeah for what for arbitrary reasons uh-huh and I can't say what I want to say, because then I'm crazy. Uh-huh. But then you just did this, and that's not crazy? And that's fine. That's considered not crazy? Because that's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, like, being able to quit those jobs was a product of being willing to tolerate a certain level of discomfort. Yeah. Having the flexibility to do so because of my access to credit, because yeah. of my access to finding more work, because of the fact that I have been doing some form of freelance something yeah. basically since 2015. Like you said, yeah. New York, there's always a way to make money. There's always a way. And again, having that consulting gig, I think, taught me, as you and I have talked about many times before, that yeah. like the secret to freelancing mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship is, is to have the audacity. audacity. That's yeah. it. Not a point. That is it. Yeah. You don't actually, like, the number of times that I would, perfect example, um, I built so much of my expertise as a sex educator in sex shops. Yeah. And would work alongside people who knew as much as or more than I did, mm-hmm. who I would talk to you about freelance stuff and be like, oh, that's cool. I wish I could do something like that. Mm-hmm. You can. You could. Nothing's stopping you. Like, I understand that there are structural barriers yeah. and those things are real and mm-hmm. I've run into barriers too and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And... Like, what the, what do you, how do you pitch an editor a freelance article? You email them. Mm-hmm. Their emails are out here. Mm-hmm. What's the worst thing that happens? You don't get a pitch picked up? Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, and I, again, don't mean to be minimizing. No. A part of the reason why I don't do any freelance writing anymore is because freelance writing is probably the worst way to be a freelance. It's like, yeah. the way to be a freelancer that feels like it has the least kind of, freedom and control of your uh-huh, work uh-huh, and uh-huh. whatever it's sorry to any shout out to the freelance writers mm-hmm. out there it's well it's one life. of those things it's like if you it's a tough life and it's one of those things like at some point if you do it enough you either decide to move on Ooh. because it doesn't meet your needs your wants your value whatever or you stick to it and you figure it out or you get a, a staff yeah. job eventually and then you get laid off when your company goes under. uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. sorry to the media people no that's what i'm saying Disney. Disney. I Heart. I Heart. I Heart Radio. It's all their media. They're furloughing. It's gone. We're so do like Cardi B and divorce your job before he can cheat on you. <laughs> <laughs> do like Cardi B. You know? Yeah. When the, when the shit's gone sour. Mm-hmm. And again, I understand it's not that simple. I'm 
I want it to be that simple. Yeah. I want to live in a world where we have the social and communal networks for it to be that simple. Yes. To be able to say, like, I, you know, I, I don't need to have it, this job because my, I, when I'm hungry, I have friends who will feed me. Like, that's not a thing that people can say, not because they don't have friends, but because we don't exist because in a world where that's exist, normal. Exactly. Yeah. That's not a, Accessible. a type of relationship. Right. And that's the part that I feel like is shifting is that is developing at wider in wider networks at a faster pace. Like, I, I do think COVID has accelerated it's that. It's one of the reasons why I'm so shocked that there's still people who are so, like, clinging to the establishment. With, to the election. I was truly what very is, like, surprised. Excuse me, what has yeah. is, is been... What has been... What's not clicking here? Working yeah. in the last six months. Mm-hmm. The government... That's like... Or your community. Exactly. Which is, I understand that a lot of these people are people who are divorced from community in the way that we're talking about it. Who are like, their community is their social network, which is based primarily Uh on class background, Uh and not actually like community as in the people you live near and would have those kinds of like sustaining relationships with. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, even then, like, I don't know, it's that cliche of like, when you go out for brunch with your rich friend and they're like... Can you Venmo me the thirty-three cents for the bacon? Like uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. that. I think there is this way in which suffering and not having things makes you more inclined to, to help people out when they uh-huh. are suffering and not having that. I was having a conversation with David about that the other day. Yeah, when I was walking back, and it was around that same theme. He was telling me a story about some dude who had like walked past him a couple of times, and mm-hmm. then one day it was raining or snowing or something, and this dude saw him out and was like, hey, do mm-hmm. you need help? And he was like, yeah, and he handed him a $100 bill. Wow. And he was like, this was a, and he was like, I could tell that this was someone who had been cold before. Yeah. Because he didn't want to see somebody cold. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, I think when you are really bought into the mythology, either because you were born into it or because you, by sheer luck and quote unquote doing things right, by playing the game well enough, you've gotten to, you've got a high income. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you've gotten there by that way, that it's so much easier to buy into the rest of the ideology, too. Of like, I got here because I deserve it, and the way that I stay here is by continuing to play the game that got me here. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think it doesn't happen until something like coronavirus happens and people experience mm-hmm, suffering mm-hmm. in a way that makes it harder for them to watch other people suffer in the way that they used to yeah. because it used to feel something distant and not related to them. Mm-hmm. 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 Distant and not related to them. Yeah. No, it's so precarious. and it's interesting to think about that people really think that they play the game, they do something right, that they win. When it's like, you can so easily lose. Like, you can so easily lose. And it's Unless also... Unless you're like, a monster. Well, A monster. Yeah. And even then you yeah. still are driven by this. Lose. Yeah, this because at that point then you're running from, like, you're a I monster. think about, there's um, someone who... There's a person mm-hmm. whose parent is wealthy. Uh-huh. A black millionaire. Uh-huh. In, like, a career field that is so, not just white, but, like, Wall Street. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, that genre of capitalist. Naked capitalist. Yeah. He is so wealthy. Mm-hmm. So wealthy. Uh-huh. And I know for a fact that he has also had to experience and suffer and swallow some of the most heinous racism. Sure. Yeah. 
like in the course yeah. of getting to that point in his career mm-hmm. and even now like after having accomplished all the things that he's accomplished mm-hmm. like that is that is always those two things are always going to be mm-hmm. wrapped up in each other mm-hmm. what does that do to a person what does that do to a person especially when you get to the other side and you're like this isn't I, I was doing this because I thought it would mean something when I got here and when I got here it doesn't and mean what does the thing mean? that I thought yeah. Sometimes and why it means, did I think it meant right. that? In this case, I'm talking about somebody uh-huh. who did win. You know what I mean? Yeah. Has millions of dollars. Kids have trust funds. Uh-huh. Owns a house in the Caribbean. Like, has all the things. And you said, and is, and is black. And at a time yes. in America where that is like. Yes. That, it's like, what does it mean to have done that for that? Yes. Like, what are you at? What because then, the it, because at? The, the byproduct of that is, so your kids have trust funds. So where mm-hmm. do they go to school? Who are their classmates? Uh-huh. Who do they grow up to be? Who are the people that you spend your holidays with? Right. What, what are the social networks that you're in? Mm-hmm. Where are you? Where are you? And what did you have to do to get there? Yeah. Doesn't mean what you thought it meant. What did you have to put up with? What did you have to forgive? What did you have to accept? What did you have to... I mean, this is... But that's... And that is life. Like, all of life... Those <laughs> are the choices you make. I mean, the choices oh, are, yeah. are the things that come up as life. And But your life is how what you, your response to those choices, you know? And again, I think it's... It's not that you have done the thing. It's your response to those choices. If it was possible for mm-hmm. me to have done it, if mm-hmm. I'd had Adderall as a kid and I could mm-hmm. have like mm-hmm. done stuff that I didn't want to do, I would have a job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm smart. I'm capable. I'm good at stuff. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I left the jobs that I left was not because I couldn't do the jobs. It was because I didn't want to do it in those circumstances because it was yeah. too miserable. Right. And it's like what... It's nice to think, like, at some point in my life, I think, like, you know, even if you were on Adderall, it's like, oh, I wonder, I, I, it's hard to think, like, would I have always done that? I think I would have had to hit rock bottom in a different way. Yeah. But wouldn't, wouldn't you have, you think, or no? Well, that's what I'm saying, is, like, I, it's, I certainly wouldn't have had it, that experience in high school. You know what I mean? I don't think I would have clicked so early Mm -hmm. of, like, I mean, I gotta tell you, my mom, if my mom couldn't make me... Mm-hmm. play by the rules nothing would happen. yeah like mm-hmm. the amount of pressure and the amount of of expectation that I was under as a young person mm-hmm. I think speaks to the fact that I have brain damage because yeah. there's there's no way that I would not have com- complied with those expectations if I had been able to uh-huh. um and I wasn't mm-hmm. and thank god for it mm-hmm. because I don't think that I'll put it this way I think that seeing more clearly how little correlation there is mm-hmm. between effort and and material security mm-hmm. helped me to understand the distinction between money and resources mm-hmm. at a much earlier age. I see, yeah. Because it became a lot easier for me to understand it doesn't matter if this paid internship pays twice as much as this paid internship because the financial resource I will gain from that Versus the emotional, spiritual, temporal resource that I will have to give to that mm-hmm. doesn't line up. Mm-hmm. Like, and ultimately, my emotional state is a f- actually a finite resource. Yeah. I can't just infinitely compromise that. Yeah. In this pursuit of money. Yeah, I think everyone. I think most people burn out at some point, and the resources available to. I mean, again, like you're saying, fifty-year-old men burning out some suicide. Some buy a motorcycle. <laughs> so, uh, lots of ways that you can deal with it. Lots of ways that you you, you come try to, to the cope. other side. Well, and again, it's I mean, how many people? Some have a new life. Have you? Do you know who have? It's like uh, you've got a good job, mm-hmm. and you hate your life. So, is it a good job? 
Mm-hmm. Like, do you actually feel that you have security? Does this actually feel good? It doesn't feel good. Yeah. And when I feel But like, the values are not... The feeling good, like we were talking about before. Feeling good is not the objective. I know. You it's the opposite put of the, it on If the, you feel good, the, you're doing something you're wrong. You're doing something wrong. But guess what? You're allowed to feel mm-hmm. good. And this is the problem. So, like, I'm saying all of this stuff as universal truths. And I do mm-hmm. believe in... I'm saying them because mm-hmm. I believe in them. And also... I recognize that it's not, you can't just like jump ship one day and be like, I don't like my job, so I'm going to go and be happy. Yes. Right. Exactly. You can't. Period. Um, No, it doesn't work that way. It's like you're saying, I wish that it was that easy, but we have to build the structure around it to, you have to build the net for people to fall in. I mean, it took me like five or six years of freelancing plus a lot of really random positive chances of fate mm-hmm. to end up in a situation where I am now which mm-hmm. is I'm all, I'm all freelance all the time mm-hmm. you know I'm not I have clients but I don't have bosses mm-hmm. and I can like feed myself mm-hmm. and exist like mm-hmm. that's a that is a new development in my life and mm-hmm. it's not something that happened that I could have made happen overnight no I couldn't have predicted how it was going to happen, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, it just sometimes things happen. Mm-hmm. But I think that this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the discomfort of acknowledging that you've been scammed. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is something that I talk about a lot in my workshops, and actually, I'm working on a little ebook about it right now. Mm-hmm. How to not be overwhelmed by the by the magnitude of what needs to change, mm-hmm. so that you can actually start like addressing the things that you want to change. Yeah. Literally building the negativity tolerance to be like, okay, can I admit to myself that I don't like my job Mm -hmm. and I don't want to keep going down this particular... I don't think this is worth it or I don't... This feels bad. Like, this is... I'm somatically miserable. Yeah. And I want to change that. Like, how to go from that feeling to actually being able to implement the small changes that will eventually get you to the Mm -hmm. place that you want to be Mm -hmm. with the acknowledgement that like, you're going to be a lot more uncomfortable before you get comfortable because you're going to have to look at the thing you've been looking away from Mm -hmm. and that's going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But if you don't look at it, you don't know what it is and you can't fix it. Mm -hmm. It sounds, I guess, obvious Mm -hmm. when it's laid out that way, but I think the experience of it is, it can feel really hopeless, especially in times like these, to be mm-hmm. like, if I look directly at how miserable I feel and how few options I feel like I have, mm-hmm. I'll fall apart. Mm-hmm. In a way that's like, I think, prevents people from being able to... It's like that initial shock of distress mm-hmm. makes it hard for people to get to the other side of it mm-hmm. where they can start to see what those options are. Because mm-hmm. frankly, unless you are dead, there's options. I'm not saying that they're going to be, like, transformative options Mm -hmm. or options that feel super exciting. Mm -hmm. But there's something that Mm -hmm. you can do in some way. Even something small. Even something small. Small things add up. I know it's annoying. Yeah. Love to have dramatic change. We love a dramatic change. Sometimes. And sometimes we get that. But the dramatic change really gave us that in some ways. But, but that's not you can't do that. No. You can't make the a world does that to yes. you. Yes, <laughs> that's when things happen to you, and that's like a uh, an exercise in staying on your toes, I guess. Well, yeah. yeah, and also I think the way that the way that you respond to uh-huh. those big things that the universe uh-huh. throws at you is directly reflective of the incremental choices. Yes, you do the incremental stuff so that when the big transformative change happens, you, you know can how ride, to wave. ride like, the wave. 
I think mm-hmm. we talked about this back in March, like when it was first happening, that people's response to COVID, mm-hmm. emotionally, socially, mm-hmm. like their response to COVID was directly a response or a reflection of rather however they were already dealing with shit in their lives. Exactly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like to an uncanny extent. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. 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 Here it is. It's just very revealing. Mask off. Mask off. Who are you really when push comes to shove? Smoking so much gas. Forgot to put my mask on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, on that note, it's general strike, general election. General. General. Black pill. Black pill. Um, like, here's, at the end of the day, here's the thing. Uh-huh. People are talking about, like, fascism and coups and paramilitaries and uh-huh. civil war. Anarchist, uh... Regions, jurisdictions. Jurisdictions. Yeah. I love cans that. Cans of soup. All kinds of things this are is happening. soup for my family. And people who are starting to freak out about it. Sure. Mm-hmm. And going straight to vote. Mm-hmm. Vote the fascism out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the same seed of, yeah. of behavior. Yeah. That is... I hate my job. My labor's mm-hmm. being exploited. I'm underpaid. Mm-hmm. It's all bullshit. I'm killing myself here. I hate. I have to black out eight hours a day to get through my day. Yeah. But I'm going to keep on trucking because that's what you do. That's what you do. That's what was done. Yeah. And I think and in it, both cases, it's the same answer. Uh-huh. If you need to harm reduce, quote unquote, by voting for Biden or keeping your job because you need the income, uh-huh, okay? Uh-huh. If that's harm reduction for you, fine. Uh-huh. But that cannot be the only or the main tactic to solve yeah. your problem because right. it's not going to solve your problem no. in either case. Right, because the because pro- those aren't really choices. Those aren't really choices. Those are things that you are have a gun to your head yes. and you have to do, right. quote unquote, have to do. Right. Like, you're doing them under duress. Yeah. And they're not solutions to the actual problem. The gun no. is to your head to distract you from the actual problem. Yes. Voting in November does nothing to take guns out of the hands of paramilitary. Yeah. Doesn't it zero things. No, and both options actually adamantly support that to yes. increase those. So. So, like on quite a literal level. Right. So, like mm-hmm. saying very strongly on social media that President Trump should support a peaceful transfer of power. What the fuck? Like, right. So, I, so you I can genuinely, what? I ask you, what the fuck? So you can, in ten years, laugh at him like you laugh about George Bush. So like, you can be like, well, at least <laughs> whatever you want to say, whatever the fuck. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, point being, again, do what you need to do. If you need to stay in your job that you hate because you need to pay your rent, right? If you need to there's vote for Biden. There's material know. reality, and material know. reality matters. Nothing that we are saying is meant to run in the face of your material reality. No. We are not trying to we have our purity own, test. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Re- reality is material. Uh-huh. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Only occasionally. Material. <laughs> Touch it with your Equal hand. Equal sign? Question mark. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But mm-hmm. can you do that thing and also be cognizant of yeah. the actual problem? Staying in your job because mm-hmm. you need the money is okay, but it is not a solution to how much your job makes you hate your life. Right, and that is where, you know, workers of the world world unite. Yeah, exactly. Worker solidarity. I mean, again, strike. a lot of the jobs that I quit could have been Mm -hmm. strikes. You can try. Strike, strike. 
why not yeah, see what happens get in touch with a, a local yeah. union rep yeah. or wildcat yeah. just go wildcat just go demand it be different maybe maybe we'll get an actual labor organizer on for an interview at some point because yeah. neither we're both kind of talking out of our ass labor stuff yeah um thanks for listening actually i've got a friend who's a labor organizer who might almost certainly be down oh. hit her up okay be like, hey, can you explain to us why we should strike Labor. and not just quit our jobs? Because <laughs> we're team about? quit your job, but 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 there's probably there's maybe more worker solidarity to be built here. <laughs> yeah, I I think I was also a lot of it's are, class consciousness. We're class literally. consciousness razor people. I mean, we're about that, you know. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. Anyways. Uh huh. Um. Good luck with this one, Caleb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, in conclusion. Thank you for listening to Emotional Labor. Thank you so much for An listening to Emotional Labor. An explicitly but not narrowly political podcast. Mm-hmm. Where two air moons talk about some stuff for an hour. Two air moons. And then send it off to Caleb to hopefully turn it into something that you guys want to listen to. Absolutely. Is that our new tagline? Yes. Shout out, Caleb. Thank um, you. Shout out, Natalie, for the show art. Shout out, Caleb, for editing and being our audio consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, our audio comrade. Audio comrade. Comrade um, and mics and audio. I don't know if the mic picked that up, but that's our Excuse cat me? saying goodbye. Yeah, she said it's time to log, log off. off. <laughs> All right. Log off and feed me. Time to um, log off. Time to log off. See you next time. What are we going to talk about next time? Cancel, Cancel culture. culture, finally. Cancel culture. Or, I don't know, we'll see what the fuck happens in betwixt now and then. Yeah. And maybe we'll talk about something... Maybe this will become like the the like recurring joke of our show where it's like next week cancel culture and, and then never it's never cancel culture canceled canceled, canceled. <laughs> uh, okay goodbye bye <laughs> goodbye <laughs> follow us email us whatever I don't know bye thank you bye like and subscribe like and subscribe. <laughs>